Welcome to the Thrive City Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Ben, and I'm so grateful that you have decided to check us out. At Thrive City Church, we want you to experience a thriving life with Jesus. Wherever you are listening from, we hope that you find this message hopeful and encouraging. Good morning, church. Whoever you are, wherever you are watching from this morning, whatever season of life you find yourself walking through, I'm just so glad that you have decided to join us this morning. My name is Pastor Ben. I have the honor and the privilege of being the lead pastor here at Thrive City Church. And if you are just if you are joining us for the first time this morning, we are just finishing a collection of talks called Relationship Goals. I believe that our relationships have the ability to either make us or break us. I believe that God has created you and I to live in community. He has created us to live in relationship with one another. So if relationships matter to God, then relationships should matter to us. And over the past few weeks, we have talked about several different things. In the first week that we spent together talking about relationships, we talked about how things of worth take work. We talked about how God has hardwired us for relationships, that God has a a place and a purpose and provision for you. So don't allow another person to take the place of the things that God has for you. In the second week that we spent together, we looked at a miracle that Jesus performed. He turned water into wine. We talked about the importance of inviting Jesus into your relationship, your marriage, whatever it may be. And then last week, we talked about staying single-minded. We talked about how God desires our undivided devotion. So which flame are you feeding? The flame of your passions or the flames of your purpose? Have you let intimacy, your desire for intimacy, become an idol? But this week, I want to examine some of the most important relationships that you and I will have. And those are relationships in the church. I know that many of you perhaps don't even consider yourself a Christian. However, this message today is primarily for those who consider themselves followers of Jesus and who are a part of the church. However, even if you don't, you are more than welcome to stick around today. I hope that you learned something. I hope that you are encouraged to take that next step towards a thriving life with Jesus. So you might be thinking, Look, I have my school friends, I have my work friends, uh, I have my church friends, and then I kind of have my actual friends. Uh, Why should I really care about these relationships that I have with people at church? Well, that is because there is something very, very special about our relationship with other Christians. Part of our identity as Christians is built upon how we act, how we interact with other believers. Unfortunately, many of us have experienced our greatest hurt, our greatest pain at the hands of people from inside the church. So how do we reconcile this? First, 
I think it is important for us to understand what the church is. This is a term that is thrown around a lot. For many of us, the term church evokes memories of vacation Bible school or perhaps memories of a building filled with stained glass windows or perhaps the word church evokes some not so great memories from the past. In the Bible, the the word that is translated church is a Greek word called ekklesia. And the word ekklesia, I'm going to put it up on the screen right there so you can see it, is is made up of a couple different words. So ek is similar to the Latin ex, meaning out of. And then the rest of the word is built off this root word, kaleo, meaning to call. So the word that we have for church in the Bible, when you put those together, it means those who are the called out ones. Called out ones. The church called out ones. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So this morning, as we talk about the church, I am talking about so much more than just Thrive City Church and so much more than just the churches that we find here in the city of Syracuse or even in America. I am talking about the church that includes all of those who have been called out by God across the world and throughout history. This should come as no surprise to you, but that large of a group is bound to have some diversity some differences. However, instead of being known for its diversity, the church has unfortunately become known for its disagreements and its division and its infighting. In the book of Romans, as we're going to read about this morning together, Paul spoke to this issue directly about unity within the church. In Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, as the church, Though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So if you are a follower of Jesus, you have been called out with a purpose. You have not been called out by the grace of God to call out your grievances in other Christians. Woo, that'll preach. We're going to explore more of what Paul has to say in a minute. But first, let's begin our time in prayer. Jesus, we thank you for calling us out. We thank you that you have called us from darkness into light. And you've called us from death to life. You have entrusted us 
with so many important relationships in our lives. And we ask that you would lead and guide us towards healthier relationships with our friends, our family, and our loved ones. Jesus, we ask that you would change our hearts this morning. Let us live as a changed people that are living testaments to the life-changing power of your good news, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. At some point in our lives, we all reach a point where we realize that not everybody was raised in the same way that we were. Sometimes this can be a really shocking experience, and sometimes it can be pretty hilarious to begin to see the differences in how other families operate, how they were raised, uh, the, the different little idiosyncrasies that they have that, from our perspective, seems really strange, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? For example, I heard a story about a family that would always put pineapple on their hamburgers. It didn't matter when or for what occasion, anytime they had hamburgers, they would put pineapple on them. See, to me, that seems insane, right? Can you, can you imagine growing up in this household and going over to a friend's house and having burgers and looking around going, hey, where's your burger pineapple? Like, where is it? Right? That's, it's crazy to me. There's another family that I heard about that would always eat corn on the cob for dessert, right? That, that's so crazy. Can you imagine being raised in this household and growing up and going to a barbecue at a friend's house only to wonder why they're eating dessert, right, in, in the middle of the meal? Like, hey, man, why aren't you saving your corn for later for dessert? It's so wild. Another example of how families do things differently is the way that they approach milk as a beverage, Right? Some of you might be thinking, what, where in the world is this message going this morning? Well, we're going to talk about milk for a second. Some families drink milk religiously. They might go through three or four gallons of milk. They drink milk at every meal. They, they have uh, stomachs of iron. They can just go through so much milk at a time. Other families rarely, if ever, drink milk. They only use it for baking or cooking. The point of this story is there are, there are certain things that we hope all of our families have in common. You know, we hope that we can say that all of us had loving parents to a certain degree, a safe environment for us to grow up in, and some amount of emotional or financial support and stability, things like that. However, other than that, the family th that you grew up in is likely so different than the one that I grew up in. And that is okay. So let me ask you this morning, when is the first time that you realized that people lived differently than you? If it, if it was a funny experience, I would love to hear about it in the comment sections below. Leave us uh, your experience or your story about the, the craziest difference that you realized growing up. How did that make you feel? It, it, did it make you think, uh, how does that family live that way? Drinking that much milk, eating corn on the cob for dessert. How do they function? How do they, how do they get along with their life after this? It makes no sense. How about this? When did you realize that people worship differently? 
Perhaps you're new to the faith and you haven't had a chance to experience this yet. But if you have followed Jesus for some amount of time, you have likely noticed that not all churches look the same, act the same, talk the same, or worship the same. It is so easy to look at another group of Christians that is different than yourself and to make snap judgments about who they are and the way that they worship. So let's jump back into scripture and see what Paul has to say about this issue. But before we do, I want to give us a little bit of context into what we're jumping into. So the book of Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to groups of Christians that were living in Rome. And as we have talked about before, the early church was far from perfect. They wrestled with different arguments and differing opinions, just like we do today. In his letter, Paul begins by beautifully laying out really important doctrinal truths about sin and salvation and sanctification and the sovereignty of God. Now, that's just a fancy way of saying that Paul lays out an important theological framework for the early church, saying, here are the things that we need to cling to, that we, as called out ones, have in common. No matter where you are, no matter how you grew up, no matter where you came from or what you have been through, these are the things that we cling to. Things that we read about in Romans and other places in the gospel, like all of us have, fought, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the price that we owe for this sin is death. However, the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And the truth that God loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place, even when we didn't know him or follow him. And if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Whoever calls upon the Lord will be saved. Amen. After this theological framework and this doctrinal bombshell, Paul shifts his focus towards the end of the letter from, from beliefs to behavior. He kind of turns to this, this practical side of things. So in the passage that we read in chapter 12, Paul introduces this idea that the church is like a body made up of different body parts that all serve a different function, right? A hand is different from a foot. A foot is different than an elbow. All of us serve different roles, and God has gifted each of us to serve in a different capacity. So like Paul says, none of us should think more highly of ourselves than we ought. If we skip ahead in chapter 14, Paul begins to address an issue that had sprung up in a few different places. That is eating food that had been offered to idols or to other gods and observing the Sabbath. Uh, before we read this passage, we need to develop a better idea of this situation because from our perspective, eating meat and observing the Sabbath 
really aren't a big deal, right? I mean, I haven't heard anybody really complain about eating food offered to an idol, right? However, for them in the early church, this was a very serious issue. As the news about Jesus began to spread, people from a variety of backgrounds began to come to faith. Those who had a Jewish upbringing and background and those who had a pagan upbringing and background. So as these people were called out and joined the church, they brought with them different perspectives on certain issues. For example, Some Christians who had a Jewish background felt that it was very important for them to continue observing the Sabbath, which was on Saturday. So they wouldn't uh, work, they wouldn't schedule anything on Saturdays. They observed the Sabbath and kept it holy. And they felt like it was important as Christians and followers of Jesus to continue that practice. Others who had perhaps grown up worshiping pagan idols were hesitant about, about eating food that had been offered to idols. They felt like, hey man, I, I messed with that earlier in my life. I want nothing to do with it. Out of respect for God and, and my new faith in Jesus, I want nothing to do with my former life. Therefore, I, I am convicted to not eat that meat. So there was others that had absolutely no issue. And they felt like they had freedom in Christ to eat whatever they wanted. So that's a little bit of the context of the passage that we're going to read in Romans 14, beginning in verse 1. Paul says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the other who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the living and the dead. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all will stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Here in this passage, Paul is making a very important distinction. And we need to be very careful 
when we hear these words, who are you to judge? It can be very popular to, to go around doing whatever we feel like and saying, who are you to judge me? Only God can judge me. Well, that's true to a certain extent. That's not necessarily what Paul is saying. Paul here is differentiating between the essentials and the non-essentials of our faith. For example, essentials of the Christian faith include some of the things that Paul had talked about earlier in the letter to the Romans and other things that he mentions throughout the New Testament in other letters, like the deity of Jesus, or the importance of being saved by grace alone, through Jesus Christ alone, and that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. However, non-essentials include different things like the type of food that we choose to eat, whether or not we observe the Sabbath, whether or not we work on Sunday or not, or what style of music we choose to worship with, what types of media we choose to enjoy, whether we go to the movies or not. Paul here is essentially saying, hey, guys, stop making mountains out of molehills. You're making these non-essentials such a big deal. You are letting your, your disagreements turn into these, these divisions that are causing harm in the church. In verse 1, Paul is saying to welcome others in the faith, but not to quarrel over opinions or non-essentials. The first thing that I want us to take away from Paul this morning is this. Do not let division be your default setting. Do not let division be your default setting. For many of us, we are so quick to point out the differences that we see in other people, in other churches, in other Christians. We point out the way that they worship, the way that they celebrate, the clothes that they wear, the way that they, that they decorate their church, or the way they choose to celebrate together. <laughs> I'm telling you, some of the most vile, hate-filled comments that I have ever read online come from Christians commenting on the posts of other Christians. This is some of the most disappointing and discouraging things that I have ever read in my life. As a matter of fact, I saw a sponsored ad on Facebook for this really nice study Bible. And it looked nice and I clicked on it and, and I saw that it had a bunch of comments and I started reading them and I could not believe what Christians were saying about other Christians on a sponsored post about a study Bible. It was unbelievable. If we truly want to see unity within the church, we need to be understanding of our differences and not always jumping to point out and to criticize the way that other people worship. Remember, there's a big difference between the essentials of our faith and the non-essentials. When it comes to the essentials, those are things that we need unity in, that we need to cling to, that we hold in common. But there are non-essentials that we need to have room to be different in, to disagree in, to have diversity in. So we cannot allow division to be our default setting in the way that we automatically react to other Christians. 
Listen, there will be people who look at our church, at Thrive City Church, and say, wow, that is not for me. That is not my style. You guys either seem uh, too progressive or I can't connect with your style of worship or, you know, you have too many lights. And I, I think the messages should be strictly exegetical and smoke machines are from the devil or all sorts of things. But that is okay. Scripture tells us that, that we need to welcome them and to not be divisive over our differences. There will be people that, that stand on the opposite end of the spectrum. They will look at more conservative churches in our area and say, how can you worship with music that feels so lifeless? Where is your spirit? Where is your energy? Where is your spontaneity? Whatever it may be, we need to call that out right now and not let our differences lead to division within the body of Christ. As long as we stand united on the essentials of our faith, we need to welcome and embrace others as our family. So this morning, listen, cut it out. Stop calling out other Christians for their differences. It is doing nothing but causing disagreement and division. Do not let division be your default. Work to welcome and to accept others that are different than you. In verse four, Paul continues by saying, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? In other words, who are you to condemn their convictions? Those convictions are between them and God. In context, in the passage that we read, Paul is saying, if you feel free to eat meat or to work on the Sabbath, that is fine. But in your liberty, do not look down on the convictions of others. In the same way, don't think less of others who do not share your strong convictions. I cannot believe how commonplace this has become. So many Christians believe that they just happened to stumble into the one church that does everything correctly. Have you ever met a family that is super convicted about recycling? Right? I, I mean, I recycle but there is like a next level of people who recycle. They take it to this extreme level where in every single plastic item or paper item in their house, they know exactly what bin it goes in, what is recycled, what is not, what has to be folded up and broken down, what has to be taken to the dump, all sorts of things. What goes in the compost pile in the back of their house all sorts of different things. I would never walk into their house and condemn them to their face about their convictions for recycling. What good would that do? Their convictions about recycling is their business. So why do we do the same thing with other Christians? I urge you this morning to not condemn other people's convictions. They might not necessarily make sense to you. They might not necessarily seem appropriate or helpful to you. But
but I encourage you to not jump to conclusions. Don't condemn the convictions of other people because that is between them and God. Like Paul talks about, their convictions are between them and God and the choices that they are making are in order to honor God and to strengthen and to build up their relationship with him. And if you do not share their conviction, you have to pay attention to your own relationship with God to make sure that you are continuing to honor and to love him and to build up your relationship with him. Do not condemn the convictions of another. If we continue on into verse 13, we learn, so what? If we're not to let division be our default setting and we're not supposed to condemn the convictions of others, what are we supposed to do? Well, Paul says this in verse 13. He says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. Decide, make a conscious decision in your life to never put a stumbling block or any sort of hindrance in the way of another person. In other words, intentionally live your life in a, in a way that seeks peace, that displays grace. It is not just enough to hold your tongue and not say anything. We are actually called out to live differently in a way that builds others up. This is such an important thing for us to grasp. I want you to remember this as we close our time together, that you have been called out by God to live out his grace. You have been called out by God to live out his grace. You have been chosen by God and grafted into his family, a large and a beautiful and a diverse family that stretches across denominations and cultures and languages and personal preferences. So what are you doing to build up those relationships with those who are different than you? with Christians that probably wouldn't fit in your friend group or in your natural style? How does your life in the way that you live show other people God's grace? As the church, as called out ones, we have been called to build up, to edify, to encourage, and to support other Christians. Remember, for essentials of the faith, things that we need to cling to, that we have in common, that, that we share, no matter who we are or where we came from, we need unity. However, for non-essentials, things that we can be different in, that we can have diversity in, we need liberty. We need acceptance. We need diversity. But in all things, we need love. I encourage you, search your heart this week. Who have you passed judgment on in the past? Who have you looked down upon or written off? Who have you cast off that God has called out? Who have you rejected that God has accepted? How can you increase your appreciation for the body of Christ? How can you celebrate the spectrum of everything that God has created? 
this week, choose to speak highly of other churches and other Christians and leaders. Make a conscious decision in your life to not be the guy or the girl that is always known for talking poorly about other people. Be known for leading with love and living out God's grace. My heart for Thrive City Church is that we can be a place that celebrates our unity and celebrates our diversity. That we could be a place where we can celebrate our common calling and appreciate our differences. I want our church to be a place where we hold the essentials of our faith with certainty. Where we approach the non-essentials with liberty. And above all else, be a place where we lead with love. I truly do believe that we have an opportunity to change the narrative, to set an example of being a called out one. You and I have not been called out to call out. We have been called out by God to live out his grace. If you have been hurt by the church in the past, there is nothing that I can do or say that can minimize that pain. Just know that the hurt that you have experienced is not something that God wants for your life. God, God has intended for the church to be a place where, where the hurt and the broken can find healing, where you and I can experience restoration and reconciliation, that the church is a place that can equip and empower and encourage others, that the church could be a place that is known for its love. So as we talk about these relationship goals, all of us want to be a part of a church that is perfect, that has everything together. But sadly, there is no perfect church. Whatever church you end up getting plugged into, whether it be Thrive City Church or not, there is work to do. So we want to be a church that works on its relationships, that treats other people with love and respect, that welcomes other people with their differences and their diversity, that does not condemn the convictions of others. We want to be a church that leads with love, that lives out the grace of God. This morning, if you have been listening and you have been thinking, man, I don't even know. I don't even know what it's like to have a relationship with God. I feel like there's, there's something so much more that I haven't experienced. If that's you this morning and you want to take the next step towards a thriving life with Jesus, I encourage you this morning to make that decision. Make a decision to place your faith in Jesus, to say yes to him, to enter into a life-giving relationship with him, to experience a thriving life that only he can provide. If that's you this morning and you want to say yes to Jesus, I encourage you to pray with me right now. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for everything that you have done and are continuing to do in my life. And Jesus, I know that I have messed up, I have sinned, and I know that the penalty for that sin is death. But I also know that you offer me a free gift of life. Jesus, this morning, 
I want to accept you into my life as my Lord and my Savior. Jesus, I believe, I believe that you died on the cross in my place, paying the penalty for my sin, providing for me an ability to have a relationship with you, a life-giving eternal relationship with you that begins today and stretches on into eternity. God, make me into the type of person that you want me to be. I want to follow you with everything that I have. In your name I pray, amen. If that was you, this morning you prayed to say yes to Jesus and you want to take the next step towards a thriving life with him. I would love to connect with you, to follow up with you, and to walk alongside of you as you begin this beautiful journey with him. If that was you, I want you to text the word THRIVE to 94000. That's going to bring you to a quick form that you can fill out. Uh, Either myself or a member of the team will reach out to you. All right, church, this has been a great series. I've loved talking about relationships. Next week, I'm super excited. Our good friend, Andrew Lucio, is going to be bringing the word, bringing the heat. He is a great part of the Thrive City family. He has a passion to preach and to uh, speak what God has laid on his heart. So we're excited uh, for him to share that. You do not want to miss out. All right, church, I love you, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening today. We want to empower you to take the next step towards a thriving life with Jesus. If you're looking to get more connected, head over to our website, thrivecity.church connect. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and we would love to connect with you.